Well, hey guys. Uh, as I said, my name is Andrew. I know a number of you, but if I don't know you, uh, biggest thing about me is I have an amazing wife uh, named Bailey. Some of you know. Yeah, you guys know. Uh, we got two little boys. We got a five-year-old boy and then a two-year-old. Uh, the other big thing about us and our household, and I try to lead the way in this, is that we are big-time Christmas people. Okay, so we're big into Christmas. So uh, this last year, obviously, we just got out of the season, which our season ends like mid-January. Okay, we go like November to January for Christmas. And uh, this year, you know, our five-year-old, he's getting old enough that he can start to like do some stuff on his own now. And so uh, I decided this year, one of the fun things we're going to do, because I'm going to instill it in his, like deep in his soul to love Christmas. And so uh, what I decided is this year, we're going to go and every single week, he and I, we're going to bake like a new like Christmas tree. And so... We decided to do that first time we get ready to do it, and, and again, so he's, he's five, and he's pumped, and he's excited to bake, so we get all the stuff out, we get it all out on the counter, we get our big mixing bowl, and, uh, and I tell him, I say, okay, Jet, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to kind of like do this, and I want, I'm going to have you like help me with it, but since you've never made anything before, let me kind of lead, and then I'll kind of tell you like how to help me, and he goes, no, 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 Dad, I got it. I was like, okay, you literally don't know anything. And so he's like, no, 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 I got it. I'm going to do this. And so I said, okay, uh, I figured this out. Maybe going to be amazing and he's going to be a prodigy or it's going to be a learning experience. And so he goes and literally I'm kind of reading off the directions or whatever. And he's just like throwing things in the bowl. And so halfway through, I'm like, these are going to be horrible because they're just like a weird mix of stuff. But he's doing it and he's getting ready. And finally we get where all the ingredients are in. So, you know, you got the flour and all the chocolate chips or whatever and different stuff. And, and then we've got all the water in it. And so I grab the spoon to mix it, and I say, okay, Jet, for this part, let me do it, and I'll kind of show you how to, like, mix it so it doesn't go everywhere. And he goes, no, Dad, I got it. And I'm like, no, you've literally never done this before. I, you're going to make a mess. Let me just do it. He said, no, I got it. So he grabs the bowl, and what does he do? He gets in there, and he just starts, like, going like this. I mean, he's literally, like, within three seconds, most of the dough is literally all over. Like, his brother's sitting over here, and it's, like, coming down his head now. It's literally this huge mess, and he does it a couple times, and he goes, uh, Dad, I need some help. And I'm like, yeah, no kidding, because it literally was everywhere. And so uh, what I was trying to do with him is in that moment, I told him, I said, hey, buddy, sometimes when we're doing something brand new, it's helpful to have somebody who's done it before or knows what they're doing or has some experience with it to come in and kind of teach you. And that's what I was trying to do. I was going to have you do it, but I wanted to kind of help you along. And that's a reality for me and him. And that's a reality for all of us. See, sometimes when we enter into new things, it's really helpful to have someone who's been there before to come in, come alongside of us, and help us to not make a giant mess. And that pretty much is my goal for tonight. And what I can do in 30 minutes, as Daniel said, I'm trying to come in as someone who's been married for a little bit, uh, who's made some mistakes and had some failures, and I'm just trying to come in with this topic of how to prepare for marriage and offer you just a little bit of wisdom. I just want to come in and try to help you so that five years or ten years down the road, you've got another step or a little bit more advice to try to not make a giant mess. All right, Because here's the reality. Marriage is beautiful. Marriage is amazing. Marriage is challenging. Marriage is difficult. Marriage can be one of the greatest relationships you will have in your life. And it can also cause one of the biggest messes in your life. Uh, and that's just the honest truth. Uh, I've had a number of conversations with people in our church um, that jump into it without being aware or prepared for that reality. And it can really make a, a mess. 
I mean, some of you know. I know in your families, friend groups, you've seen that happen. And so my whole goal is to try to offer just a little bit of wisdom. Uh, and the only wisdom I really got for you, I got two things I'm going to give you tonight. Uh, one is wisdom from Scripture, which is primarily what I have. So I'm going to try to give you kind of the, you, you can think of it, again, in my like baking illustration, you can think of it as like the recipe. This is just the truth. This is what is going to make a healthy marriage. And I'm going to mix that in with a little bit of life experience, uh, which is mostly going to be my failures through our relationship. So if you like that, you can buckle up and be ready. I'm going to give you some stories. But uh, that's all I'm going to try to do is just try to help you be a little bit more prepared, file a, th- a few things away in order for you to be a little bit more prepared for marriage. So uh, I think, I should have wrote this down, I think I've got six things I'm going to tell you, all right? We're going to see as we go, uh, or if they tell me to stop talking, I'll stop. So we'll, we'll try to get to six, all right? So uh, you can write these things down. I'm going to give you some scripture uh, and just encourage you in these. So number one, when we're thinking about preparing for marriage, here's my first exhortation to you. In order to prepare for marriage, you need to believe the gospel. Believe the gospel. Um, I know that if you've been around the church, that can sound kind of like a cliche thing, and I'm going to get to different practical things, but here's the reality. Uh, The gospel is the core and the foundation and the power for all that we do, which includes relationships and marriage. Uh, Now, if you're newer, um, this idea of the gospel, I'm sure if you've been around, you guys have heard this a lot, that that word gospel, it means the good news, and it's this this message, it's like a declaration of saying, um, there's good news that God saves sinners through Jesus Christ. If you boil it down, that's what we're talking about here, is that God saves sinners through Jesus Christ, and here's what that means. It means that all people, you guys included, all of us were created by God to be with God, and all of us have rebelled away from God. You know what I'm talking about? That this is what we call sin. Um, that what we do is we don't want to honor and serve God. We live for ourselves and the world. We get swayed by the enemy. And we're living in this state of sin. God creates a perfect world. We as humans fracture it with our sin. And yet, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He didn't see you in your sin and your worst mess. Even as Nate was saying earlier, I'm sure some of you had a big screw up today, right? In a room this size, we just have. There's been people today, there's been people in the last week that you've made some pretty drastic sins. There's been things that have just been nagging, these sin patterns that you just feel enslaved to. God knew that. God knew that that was an offense against him, and God sent his only son so that he could redeem you out of that sin, so that he could forgive that sin, so that he could wipe away that sin, and so that he could not only break addictions, break the power of sin, rid you of your shame, but he gives you a hope and a new identity that you are no longer defined by that sin. You're no longer defined by these things. It's a powerful word. And he's redeemed us and brought us in. This is the power of God. Romans 1.16 says, um, uh, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. This gospel is actually the power that can not only save you, forgive you of your sins, bring you back to God, rid you of all of your shame, make you clean and no longer dirty, give you hope instead of hopelessness, give you life instead of death. It does all of that and it is the foundation for marriage. It is the power for marriage. Uh, This is what Paul says, uh, again, not in Romans, but this time in Ephesians 5. Uh, This is kind of the classic uh, New Testament passage on marriage. 
uh, and he calls the wives. He says, hey, you're like the church, and so you submit to your, your husband and his leadership, and you give yourself to your husband. Husbands, you lay down your life. You give up everything for your wife as you lead and love her. And he goes through this all on how to do that, and he says at the end, he says, hey, this is a profound thing. This is a mystery, he calls it. In Ephesians 5.32, to try to explain how this works, he said, this mystery is profound, and speaking about marriage, he says, I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. He's saying his, his, the whole point of marriage is not to be the ultimate thing. The point of marriage is to give a beautiful picture of the ultimate thing. He said the reason that wives and husbands are called to certain things is because we have roles to play because we're in this drama showing the world the beauty of the gospel. Um, th- there's a guy, Jeffrey Bromley, uh, who says this, He said, as God made man in his own image, so he made marriage in the image of his own eternal marriage with his people. Just like you are created in God's image, a marriage is created to resemble the gospel of Jesus coming down for a people and being united to them to becoming one just like we do in marriage. So we cannot actually live out what marriage is without the gospel. Uh, You have to believe in marriage that Jesus is sufficient. You have to believe that grace will cover all of your sins, past and present and future, in marriage. You have to believe that the Spirit of God dwells in you in order to empower you to live out what you're called to as a husband or a wife. You have to believe that Christians can actually change and break sin patterns. And how do we believe all those things? It's the gospel of Jesus. How are we empowered in marriage? It's believing the gospel of Jesus. There's a kind of a a known marriage book called Tying the Knot. And the guy in there has this illustration where he says, imagine you want to put two pieces of lumber together. So you get two pieces of wood and you need to put them together. So what do you grab? You grab a nail. And he said, let's imagine that in order to put that together, you grab your nail you grab some pliers, um, which if you don't know tools, that's not the right tool. So you, you pinch it on the side, and you try to just like get it in there, and you just try to shove it in. Okay, You're not hitting it, you're not anything, you got the pliers, and you're trying to just like push this through. Now he says maybe with enough strength, enough determination, enough focus, and enough time, you could eventually get that nail in there. Or what you could do is you could use a hammer. Because a hammer is the tool that is designed to get the job done. And what he says is in marriage, you can try to live out a healthy marriage outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he calls us to. You can try that, and maybe with enough determination, maybe with enough focus, maybe with enough strength, you can kind of make it work. But if you want a healthy, thriving, life-giving, flourishing marriage, you could just use the tool that God gives us, which is the power of the gospel. Uh, So, this first point, the idea of preparing for or living in a marriage without the gospel is simply not using the tools and the power that God has given you. This isn't some Christian cliche thing. You just need the gospel. It is the foundation for all of it. So right now, as you're looking to, for I think all of you besides the staff here are not married, and so as you're looking forward to that day, in this day, one of the main things you can do is learn about, talk about, meditate on, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ daily. Look at what he has done for you and what that means, and it will set you up to flourish in marriage. So number one, believe the gospel. Number two, how to prepare for marriage. Uh, You can prepare for marriage in attacking your pride. Attacking your pride. 
uh, C.S. Lewis, who's kind of, he wrote the Narnia books, famous author, uh, he says that pride is the root of all vices. In fact, he said that pride is the complete anti-God state of mind. Okay, does that make sense? So he's saying if, if, if the world is designed by God and everything is designed with him as the greatest one of all, he's the greatest being of all, he's greater than all, he's designed all, and, and all of the world is designed to worship him, what pride does is it takes the focus then off what is the greatest and it puts it in on ourself. It's a complete anti-God state of mind because you're inverting where your eyes and focus and worship is supposed to be and you focus in on yourselves. Um, this idea of self-focus, self-exaltation, it is completely the opposite of a godly worldview. And this pride is obviously in all of us. Um, Pride drives so much of our life now. It can drive our work. It can drive your studies. It can drive our friendships. Um, but God designed life and relationships to flourish and work best when our eyes are not merely on ourselves but on him. Uh, and that's going to be true in your marriage. Uh, the number one killer to your marriage is going to be pride. Uh, it will. There's a lot of manifestations of that and reasons that marriages fall apart, that you have struggles, and they all go back, I think, as C.S. Lewis said, to pride. Uh, conflicts will come in your relationship because you think you are more important than you are. Uh, sexual sin will come because you believe you deserve something that you are not getting. A passive-aggressive behavior will come because they hurt you and you feel like you need to distance yourself or punish them for doing that. Emotional distance in relationships will come because you aren't getting your needs met and you feel like they don't deserve you to cave to them or make them feel good when they're not making you feel good. And so you grow distant. All these things are self-focused. What do I deserve? What do I need? What am I getting? And if we want to grow in order to prepare well for marriage, we have to attack our pride. It will be a, or maybe the, source of marital struggles for you. Um, so I'll tell you right now, um, in, so we've been married just over seven years. This year, later this year, will be eight years that my wife and I have been married. Uh, and there was a, the first couple years was rough. And I'll probably share a few other stories throughout. But uh, it was rough. And one of the main reasons it was rough uh, is because I kind of went into marriage thinking, I, I wouldn't have said this, but I was assuming that once I got married, she was actually going to satisfy and fulfill me. Um, I wanted to get married. Uh, I dated around in college in not so good relationships because I was just looking for someone I thought they will make me feel good, feel valuable, feel validated, and be satisfied. So I went into marriage, and as great as she is, she didn't fully do that. I still, we still got in fights. We still had issues. And I remember thinking, no joke, uh, I think this was maybe year three of our marriage. And I remember where we were sitting in our living room, and I was sitting on a bench, and she was sitting on the floor. I didn't say this out loud, but I remember thinking at the time, um, I cannot believe that I have to do this for another 50 years. I literally was like, this marriage is so rough, I cannot believe that I have to do this for 30 years. And you know why that was? It's because I thought I deserved better. I thought I deserved somebody who did the things that I wanted them to do. All my uh, expectations that I wasn't communicating, I thought I deserved that somebody would do that. I thought I was being a great husband. Of course, she was the one failing the root of these issues is pride. Uh, and because I was not ruthlessly attacking pride, it was just festering and blowing up in my marriage. I mean, 90% or more of our fights, probably 100%, uh, are because of pride. Uh, I defend myself because I feel like I need to. Uh, I do things to make sure she notices me so that I can be compensated in some 
way. We keep scores of each other. We do all these things because of pride. So what does Jesus call us to do instead? Because obviously he doesn't call us to live that way. That's anti-God's state of mind. Listen to Philippians 2. This is through the, the Apostle Paul. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Uh, Paul is saying in this verse that we as a church community need to live this way. He says, don't live for yourself, don't live with your own interests in mind, don't live self-focused, but live with the interests of others in mind. Uh, the pinnacle of that relationship where we need to do this is going to be in your marriage. Uh, to live not with selfish ambition, not to our own interests, but for our spouse. Um, and I will tell you, it, it is hard in the moment because pride always feels better in the moment. You guys know what I'm talking about. Like when you feel like you're deserved something or, or whatever, you're just, uh, justified in it, it feels better in the moment. And it always ruins things in the long term. Uh, and I will tell you, one of the things recently, uh, our, our life's been a little bit crazy. And one of the ways I feel like my wife has lived this out great is uh, just this last weekend. So work and some ministry things and some friend things, like things were just kind of going nuts for us the last few weeks. And so this weekend, uh, my wife literally scheduled this like virtual golf thing for me to go to with one of my friends for literally all of my Fridays, my day off. So she's like, you go all afternoon, you hang out, you go do that. On Sunday, there's a bunch of guys who go play basketball. She's like, you have to go, like go and just go do something, whatever. And I know that that's not easy for her because we got two little crazy boys that she's with home alone all week. And on my two days, well, my one day off, and then Sunday nights when I could be around, could be putting the boys to bed, could be playing with them, could be doing these things. She said, I know this is going to be good for you. You need to go and do this. She's living out Philippians 2, saying, I know this is going to be a cost to me, but for the health of you, I want you to go. That's humility. That's what uh, Jesus calls us to in marriage. So um, my call here for you, look at Philippians 2 and live that out today. Before you're married, because what you do today in relationships is going to impact your marriage. So today, look, how can I not look to myself, but look for the good of others around me? Look for the good of this community and your friendships. How can I count my friend more significant than myself? If you want to prepare for a healthy marriage, we have to ruthlessly attack our pride. Uh, Doing it now will yield fruit then. Uh, Number three. In order to prepare for marriage, flee sexual immorality. Flee sexual immorality. Uh, I'm not going to take too long on this because I know I think Jake hit this all last week, and it's a big enough topic that I knew that, and I said, we'll spend three more minutes on it. Uh, I'm not going to belabor it, but uh, here's a verse that's just amazing. 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul writes, For this is the will of God, your sanctification." Listen to that. You ever wonder, like, what the will of God is? Paul's telling you, this is God's will. And that word sanctification, it means, like, how we grow, how we look more like Jesus, how we grow in holiness. He said, this is God's will, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. If I can just pastorally echo Paul's words, PC3, it is God's will that you abstain from sexual immorality. That you learn to control your body and that you walk in holiness and honor. Um, God's will for your life is that you flee 
sexual immorality and walk in holiness. Um, this is another one where I have more wisdom to share in failures than success um, in our own marriage. And I'll tell you this. Um, I know people say this, and, and I didn't totally believe it until I saw it in my own life, but, but your sexual sins of the past will have ramifications on your future marriage. Uh, they just do. Uh, so for my wife and I, we both, um, I didn't grow up a Christian, um, so I didn't have a perfect path, uh, past, and, um, and when we started dating, I had just become a Christian, and we're just trying to figure this out, and uh, we had a really rocky relationship, and so one of the things consistently um, that kind of like held us when nothing else would uh, was like sexual sin. And it's not good, and it's not right, um, but as we're living through that season, uh, what felt like the only thing that would kind of bind us at the time, after we got married, uh, proved to be scars and wounds uh, that has taken years to work through. Um, now, let me say this. By the power of the blood of Jesus and the Spirit of God, uh, he heals and he forgives and he reconciles and he brings beautiful things out of hardships, um, but he also calls us to not cause those things in the first place. Um, so if you have a checkered past and you have struggles in your past or you have um, sexual sins in your past, he forgives, he gives grace. There's no one that's done anything that is too far from him forgiving, um, and he's calling you to honor your spouse later by living in that way now. Um, the Bible is riddled with the negative effects of sexual sin, and it's a repeated call to live in holiness and honesty and honor. Um, this, again, we didn't have a great community around us. Um, I know Jake talked a lot last week about just some kind of practical things and why we need to do this. So, again, I'm not going to get into that. Um, but if this is a struggle, um, make sure, 100%, no exceptions, you tell people and let people walk with you in this. Um, your mind and heart cannot fight this on your own. You need the Spirit of God and you need the people of God to fight this and to flee from it. Um, and another verse, Hebrews 13, 4, um, this is what the author says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Uh, we need to hold marriage in a high esteem and with honor. And yes, Jesus covers sins. And yes, Jesus calls us to live this out. Um, we need to flee sexual immorality. Uh, next one. I forgot the number. So next one. Uh, to prepare for marriage in the future, now deal with your past. Okay, deal with your past. Um, I won't go to one specific passage here, but just think about it. If you've read through the book of Genesis, if you guys have seen this, um, it's a story about this family, essentially, um, that's growing. So God calls this man named Abram, and he says, I'm going to work through you, Abram. I'm going to create this massive family. You're going to be my people. You're going to be a light to the nations. Okay? Abraham, immediately after he's called, like literally, if you read Genesis 12, it's that. The very next story uh, he has this whole scene where they go into a different land, and he's basically afraid for his own life uh, because his wife uh, is really good looking. And so he says, they're going to kill me so that they can have you. So why don't we say that you're my sister so you can go sleep with the king so he's fine, so I'm good, so I don't die, and then we'll try to get out of here. Um, doesn't go well. Nothing like ultra bad happens because God intervenes. They leave. 
handful of chapters later, Abram does the same exact thing in a new place. Like literally, they walk in, he says the same exact thing. Say you're my sister so I don't die so this whole thing can keep going forward. Okay, horrible, horrible things. Then they have a son named Isaac. And you know what Isaac does? The same exact thing. Do you know that? That later on in his life, he literally does the same exact thing. He does exactly what his dad did. And what Abram's issue was, began to expand with Isaac. Isaac is a little bit less of a, a character who's given with honor. Or he's shown with this like virtuous kind of mentality. And then he has a son. And this son, Jacob, his name literally means a cheat or a deceiver. Uh, so what Abraham's sins were gets passed down to Isaac, and they kind of expand. And then Isaac has a son that literally his name is a deceiver and a cheat because all of these sins of the past continue and expand when they are not dealt with. That is going to be true of you. Uh, we all, and I know, I know some of your stories, so I know some of you with families and past, it's rough. Uh, you have hardships. For some of you, you have great families. Uh, they love the Lord. They raised you well. And I know none of you have a perfect family. None of you have a perfect past. And what I did going into marriage, my family was essentially uh, the family where, like, we don't do conflict at all. You know, I'm sure some of you had this. Like, we don't talk about conflict. Anybody asks, like, everything's great. We don't deal with this with each other. We don't say anything outside of our family. You just kind of stuff that stuff down. Emotions are not good. So we don't do that. We don't be vulnerable. Um, there were some pretty rough things that happened to my parents in the past that they never dealt with. That just like you see in Genesis, um, I feel like me and my sisters have led into that and started to live out of that. Uh, and what has happened is because I didn't deal with my past, especially with family stuff, that immediately began to get transferred now into my family as we get married and start having kids. Um, you will not run from your past. I mean, you can try, but it's with you. You cannot hide your past. It will come out. The things in your family, the things in the past will actually have effects in the future. Um, a great thing you can do for your marriage in the future is deal with your past now. Um, come to terms with the emotions that you have. Come to terms with the sin that you have. Come to terms with the, the family traits that are getting passed on. Some good that you want to continue. Some bad that you need to get rid of. Um, I know you have a staff team here. There's city group leaders. There's people that want to help you with this. If you want a healthy marriage, we have to, have to, have to deal with our past. Uh, and again, I know even now, there's probably some of you that have been doing that. Maybe there's the spirits kind of sparking something, even as I say that. There's just these things in the past that maybe you haven't told people. Um, I'm telling you, your spouse and your marriage will bear much fruit from you dealing with your emotions and your past now. Uh, all right, I think it's number five. To prepare for marriage in the future, believe in God's sovereignty. Now, today, believe in God's sovereignty. Um, God's sovereignty, that word sovereignty, it just means like his control and his guidance and his authority over all things. Now, I know that might sound odd to some, like it doesn't really have anything to do ma with marriage, or maybe you've been in theological debates about sovereignty. That's not what I'm talking about right now, okay? I'm not talking about these theological debates. What I'm talking about is that if you want to endure through life with hope, if you want a marriage that can endure trials that will inevitably come, you must believe in God's sovereignty. Um, he is in control of all things, and he is good and right and just, and in that, believing in that, 
can help you endure through anything through your marriage. Let me give you a few verses. Uh, This is Colossians 1. Uh, He writes, For by him all things, speaking of Jesus, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, uh, invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Uh, It is in the hands of God that all things are for, the purpose of all things, and all things hold together by the power of Jesus. Uh, Proverbs 16, uh, the lot is cast into the lap. But it's every decision is from the Lord. That's kind of like saying if you were to roll the dice. Like you can roll the dice and every time you roll it, it is decided by the Lord. There is nothing even so little as you tossing a dice that is outside of the sovereignty of God. And he's not only sovereign, but Romans 8 tells us, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Um... I told you our, my wife and I's relationship was a little bit rocky. We, uh, we dated for a year. The main issue was her, her family really didn't like me. Uh, and so we dated for a year. Her parents didn't like me. It was brutal. Um, and we got engaged quickly for a few minutes. And then we broke up immediately after that. Uh, and then we kind of spent another year kind of on again, off again. Uh, and there was a time about a year and a half to two years in uh, where we had kind of been on again, off again for a while, just really bad, unhealthy stuff. And we finally sat down and we're like, okay, this isn't going to work. Like, we, we cannot keep doing this. And we're like, we're done. And I was confident in that moment. I mean, it had been almost two years, and I was confident this is it. And so I'm sitting out in her car, like, in front of the house I was living in. So I get out. I'm walking up the driveway. My roommate was, like, shooting hoops or something in the, the driveway. And he could just tell, you know, I've been crying, whatever. And I walk up. And he literally on the spot knew, because that was basically my life for a year, was us breaking up. And so uh, he knew immediately. And uh, so we started talking, went to this little place next to where we lived. And we sat there with uh, me and two of my friends. And there was something that clicked in that moment. uh, Because I had spent, you know, a year and a half through brutal situations uh, believing she is going to be my wife. We are going to make this work. Somehow we are going to get married uh, and I invested, obviously, time, energy, my heart, like, everything into this. And I sat there, and I'm like, dang, like, we are done, done. Like, it is over. Um, and I remember thinking, because at that point, you know, I was still, like I said, I'd been a Christian for a couple years. So I had, you know, read some of the stuff on God's sovereignty, and is it sovereignty or not, and how far does this sovereignty go, and I had all the debates and stuff. And up until that point, the idea of God's sovereignty was a mere theological concept. You know what I'm talking about? Like it, it was like an idea in my mind. And something, you know if you've had these moments where something shifted, where it went from this theological idea to be debated, and it shifted down to this comforting cure for all of my anxieties and fear in that moment. Uh, it moved from this thing of like, man, does God control us to my life literally just fell apart. And if God is not in this, I literally have no hope right now. Like if God is not in this, I just wasted two years. If God is not in this, I went through horrible situations. We had horrible things happen. And if God is not in this, and if Romans 8 is not true, that he is working all things out for his good, I have no hope. There were moments, like I said, early on in our marriage. Uh, where we would fight, we'd be off, we'd be distant, and I literally had the thought, man, did I marry the wrong person? 
I'm like, was this a mistake? Should I not have done this? And if I didn't believe in God's sovereignty at that point to believe that she was not my enemy, she was not wrong for me, she was a gift from God and he had designed it so that she could be a helper to me and we could be in this together. If I didn't have that, I don't know what would have happened in the first couple of years. Uh, when our youngest son uh, was born early and had critical condition basically for the first year of his life with feeding tubes and not sleeping and all these sorts of issues. There was night after night where, where, where he's crying literally for eight hours straight where we're just out of it, like pulling our hair out, crying, like just horrible situations. If I didn't believe that God was sovereignly in this doing something, protecting, that he could heal, that he was working something, I don't know how we would have made it. Uh, when my wife saw her husband have a massive seizure, get taken out of the house into an ambulance, be told by a doctor that I was 24 hours away from dying. If you don't believe in God's sovereignty in those moments of your marriage, you have no hope to endure. Like, you have nothing that gets you through. Just this last year, when I was watching my wife on an ER table, because we didn't know what was going wrong with her, and I don't have the sovereignty of God... There is no hope to get through those things. If everything is just up for grabs and God has no control and he's not doing anything, we have no hope in life. We have no hope that this is moving somewhere. We have no hope that God has designed this for our good, even the hard moments. God's sovereignty, it is not a theological position just to be argued. It is the hope that God is in control and working all things for his good. Uh, the reality is your marriage hopefully will be amazing and awesome and you'll do all these things and you'll be prepared and it'll be great and it will be hard and life will be hard and you will go through challenges. And you need to ask yourself in those moments, what are you going to trust? Like seriously, when your marriage is hard, what are you going to trust? That you're just going to feel love all the time? Are you going to trust that if you, you fall out of love that you should just get out of the relationship? Are you going to trust that God was hoping you married somebody different? When illnesses come, when conflicts come, are you going to trust that God is sovereignly in this for your good? God's sovereignty, if you believe it and see it in the scriptures, will be a comfort for your life. Uh, last one, number six, my last encouragement today to prepare for your marriage is to live for Christ. Uh, I'll do this one quickly. Um, this one's kind of ending where I began. The gospel is our foundation and the pursuit of Christ is the power and the source of how this transforms your marriage. Um, the reality is, uh, marriage is not the ultimate. Uh, your healthy marriage is not even the ultimate. The ultimate, the ultimate goal and the ultimate relationship is that you would pursue Christ in such a way that you could live humbly, right? Jesus says that the two great commands is that we love God, so we're pursuing Him and we love Him, and that we love others. In your marriage, you pursue Christ, you live for Christ, and in so doing, you're actually freed and empowered to love your spouse in an ultimate way. Um, this is Colossians 3. Here's the command. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ. So this is, if you're a Christian, if you believe in Jesus and he has raised you up to new life, then seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Uh, your marriage's 
primary goal is to show people Christ, is to give people a picture of the gospel, of love, of honor, of sacrifice for another. And the only way you can do that in your marriage is by doing that in yourself and pursuing Christ. Don't wait until you get married to say, now we're going to start pursuing Christ. You pursue Christ. Because here's the other thing, just very practically, as you're, you know, looking for somebody to date or whatever, I think you're going through that later so you can figure out how to date, but who to date, you don't want to pursue anybody who is not pursuing Christ. Okay? So this is, that is danger, 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 moving forward. Okay? So I don't know where you all are, but I'm just saying, you find somebody who is pursuing Christ, That is the way that a healthy marriage will function. And for you right now, before you are married, live for Christ. Live to honor Christ. Live to walk with Christ. Abide in him. You do this, and you're setting yourself up to be able to do it with another in marriage. If we don't live for Christ, we live for things of the world, we live for ourselves, we live for other people, all you're going to do when you get married is transition that now to your spouse. And you're going to ask your spouse to do something they cannot do, which is satisfy you and fulfill you. Who can? Christ. So we live for Christ, we pursue Christ, and in so doing, we can live for our spouse. Now and forever, single or married, let the gospel of Jesus compel you to a life for Jesus. Let's pray.